The following is a Bible study taught at First Baptist Church of Royal City, Washington. At FBC, we endeavor to handle God's Word accurately, that believers may understand what God is doing through history and what He has planned for believers in the present. We hope you will find this study helpful in better knowing God. More audio and written studies can be found at graceteaching.net under resources. And now, our speaker. Tonight, Father, we're thankful for the evening, thankful for those that you have allowed to be here, and ask as we spend time in your word that it would be something encouraging and profitable. We ask that as there's things that you might bring to our attention that uh, each of us as individuals may need to, to grasp or to know, that it's something that we would uh, uh, bring in close and that we would really think about that with regard to ourselves. And we would thank you for these things then that you have plainly written in your word. Amen. So in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22, uh, we read, And the fruit from the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Got a question on whether, it depends whether you're using an older translation or a newer translation, whether you translate this patience or long-suffering. Uh, uh, we'll talk about that more when we get to that part of the fruit. Kindness, goodness, faith, We'll come back to that in a minute. Meekness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Um, on the word long-suffering uh, or patience, uh, you I have it down here, I have patience and long-suffering both on the sheet. Um, this, is, this is what it comes down to. If you translated the Greek word just bold, it would be long heat, long heat. So it'd be their idea of having a long temper versus a short temper. We, we all understand that because in our culture, short tempers, you just get mad just like that. Short heat. Yeah. And that's the way there's, what? I think you need to change that. But I'm just saying that's the way they understood it in their culture. Okay. When we get to that word, we're going to talk about another aspect of this that I think when we're talking about as part of the fruit of the Spirit, that definition isn't even satisfactory, okay? Um, but that is. But the challenge is, is that most new translations translate this patience because most modern readers, they have no idea what long-suffering means. They read that word and they're like, what in the world does long-suffering mean? And so our, most of your modern translation, their theory is they want to use words that a person can read and understand without having to have a pastor give them a 15-minute explanation of a word. And they want you to be able to just read the words and it makes sense. So this is what they're going to the word patience. And then the word patience, interestingly enough, the word that we have, like in the King James Bible, translated patience is a word meaning to remain under. And you know what word they use in the modern translations for that? Endure. And you know what endure means? To remain under. It, it Literally, endurance means exactly what the Greek word for patience means. So we'll, we'll address that a little bit more when we get there. The second word I wanted to just sit on for just a second is the word faith. And if you have some of your modern translations, they translate this faithfulness. Faithfulness. And there's a difference. And I put these up here for those of you that are all Greek scholars, right? <laughs> this is the word that we have here, pistis. It is a noun, and it means faith. Pistos is an adjective. It's not a noun. 
The rest of these are all nouns. But pistos is actually an adjective, and it means faithful, dependable, or in some contexts, dependable because they're exercising faith. Okay? So, so faith is the word that, that is part of the fruit of the Spirit, not faithfulness like we have in some of our uh, English translations. So having said that, the next thing I want to talk about before we move on is the word fruit. Now, um, if you had your sheet from last week on the bottom left-hand corner, what fruit picture do you have? Do you remember? What is it? Great, a grapefruit or an orange. I, I would have gone with orange, but grapefruit. Okay, we'll say it's that. <laughs> what? Yeah, like that. What do we have here? Picture. Grapes. Grapes. What do those two? What do those two things have in common apart from that they're fruit? Yeah, it's it's a singular fruit with many parts. You you don't you you when you think of grapes you don't think of well normally we don't think of just one single grape we think of a cluster of grapes. I don't go to Josh down here and buy one grape off the shelf and then have them weigh that on the scales up front. <laughs> You know, yeah. You think of a cluster of grapes, and it's the same thing. You don't go down and say, hey, I would like just one slice of orange, Ben, because Ben's the one always I see doing produce. One section. One section, yeah. Uh, and so that, and the reason for that is that the word fruit is singular. So I remember reading an article in Moody Monthly probably 30 years ago, and when they talked about the fruit of the Spirit, they had pictures of apples and oranges and grapes, and this is the way people think of it. But what... Paul is saying is that the fruit is a collective. You don't, and there was a book written by a guy by the name of Jerry Bridges. I think it was called The Practice of Godliness or The Pursuit of Godliness. I don't remember what it was. Read it back way back when I was in college. It was very popular. What? Yeah, but that's the one I was thinking of. And in that book, he basically, the book, I think his, his, some of what his idea of godliness is right. It really is partly about the fruit of the Spirit. So I think he was right there. But then he treated it as something that you can work at developing. And if that's the case, then it's no longer the fruit from the Spirit. Now it's the fruit that I've worked at. And it's the fruit from Tim. And lots of Christians have not fruit from the Spirit, but fruit from their own work, their own labor. And that's actually part of the whole problem in the book of Galatians is that when you try to get Christians to live by law, they start living by their flesh. They don't realize that. And Paul tells us that in Romans. He tells us that in, the Galatians, in Galatians, that law actually elicits the flesh because that's what God designed it to do, to prove that everybody's got a, a, the flesh or the sin nature. And it does a good job, Paul says. It does an excellent job. Paul says, I learned really well that I had a sin nature because of the law, because of what he could not do. Okay? So... This is a collective now, and the way that we have this, just reviewing from where we were last week, we back up in the, in the previous verses in verse 16, you walk by the Spirit, you don't fulfill the lust from the flesh. So that's kind of the background of what you're talking about. This is the fruit from the Spirit because you're actually walking or following the Spirit's lead. And the Spirit is leading you where? What did we see last week? to our position in Christ. He wants us to remember and think about, frame our mind, our, our viewpoint from who God says we are in Christ. That's what he wants us to do, okay? So if you understand that, then when you are following his lead, 
rather than your flesh's lead, then the Spirit can produce this fruit. So now let's walk through this fruit tonight. So we're going to start with the first part, love. Okay. So what I'm going to do, um, the first part of this, I'm going to give you a definition for each one of these as we go through these. And then we have some verses that we're going to look at. And the verses primarily are there to help you think about what does this look like when you actually have that, when these qualities are present. What does that look like in practical terms? How does this work out? So this is the definition I have for love. And some of you may have a better nuanced uh, um, version of this. If you don't want to write it all down, I can end up giving you the, 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 the main sheet that has it all written out there for you. But uh, love, and each one of these is an attitude. Each one of these parts of the fruit of the Spirit is, is, an, is a mental attitude. Okay, And the first one is love is uh, the attitude that seeks the best for another without concern for personal cost. Or I think I have to lay one's life down by doing what is best for another without regard to personal cost, doing what's best. So you're seeking, you're seeking what's best for somebody else and you do it without regard to what it's gonna cost you. That's really what agape love is. And we say that, uh, we did this a few months ago when we were finishing our study uh, in the upper room discourse and we were in John 21 where Jesus is talking with Peter and he, he had, they have that play between the word phileo and agapao. Uh, fondness, a fond love and this word. And a lot of Bible students, Bible teachers, scholars much smarter than me will say, well, those words meant the same thing at the time of the New Testament. They did not see a difference. Well, they did see some difference. Um, if you read scholars from years gone by saying, yeah, there was a difference because they had two different words. They had different nuances. But in addition to that, what's the other reason we know that agape love is not the same as phileo? What's the key thing that makes that definition different? God well, that's true. God changed the definition. Jesus changed it. Where did he do that? What? Where did he do that? Oh, in the upper room. In the upper room. And, and he, he changed it from loving one another to how I have loved you. Exactly. Exactly. Everybody got that? Yeah. So when he got down and washed the disciples' feet, and then he says, I've just given you an example. You should do this. And then he tells them, now I want you to love like I've loved you. It doesn't say like I'm going to love on the cross. This is the way everybody reads it. But how I have already loved you. What I've already done, which I just washed your feet. So you don't have to get up on a cross and die for somebody like that. You need to serve. You need to do something as dirty and grimy as washing their feet, metaphorically speaking. I mean, there are things that are, maybe you literally will wash somebody's feet someday. Uh, because maybe there'll be a believer that needs some health care and you'll provide for him that way. But the whole point is it's this sacrificial kind of love. Okay, so now let's take off and let's start reading uh, some verses that are going to tell us how this looks. And we're going to start down here. Maria, would you mind reading first for us in 1 John? 1 John. 1 John 3, 16 through 18. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. 
So we also want to give up our life for our brothers and sisters. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother and sister in need, but shows no compassion, compassion, how can I God love be in the person, that person? Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show truth by our actions. Okay. So what would this verse, how, how would this indicate at, on a practical level what love is going to look like, can look like? There you go. Everybody hear that? Okay. There you go. What? If you see a need and you have the ability to meet that need, then do so. Okay. If you see a need. Um, but yeah. when we have uh, the person that really, really didn't know, we cannot see that person, how can I help him? Exactly. Yeah. So it, it has to be something. I want it, but I can't do that. That's the point. Yeah. Sometimes we're not able to meet it because we don't have the ability to meet it. Um, I honestly think sometimes when God brings a need to our attention, we're like, I'd like to help with that, but I don't have the ability to do that. I think that maybe God's putting us in the position to maybe try to find somebody that can step in and help with that. You know, maybe you're like, I don't know how to answer. Maybe it's like this person's going through a real struggle in their life and I'd like to share some scripture with them or sit down with them, but I, I don't know what to say. Maybe that's when you get on the phone and you call your friend and say, hey, I've got this person in there. What, 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 what would you tell them? What verses would you give them? Peggy. Uh, I think we have to be careful about using that as a cop-out. I can't fill in that need. I feel uncomfortable. I mean, this is, this is really basically talking about material needs. Right. And sometimes we may have to sacrifice. Well, we're going to have to eat less this week or I'm not going to be able to go on that trip or, you know, just, yeah. I like what Peggy said because um, what's that scripture where God doesn't call uh, not many? Uh, Rich, not many. No, he doesn't yeah. call a He's looking for the one who's willing, not, not the one oh, who well. is not qualified. Oh. So, and you just never know I think people need to be open-minded and whisper a prayer underneath their breath in that situation because you never know. God may put on your heart what that person needs to hear. It may not look like a textbook, but it will be heart to heart. So I like what Peggy said. We need to, you need to step back and pray before you think you're not able to minister to that person. We, we've pointed this out before, but it's probably been a while. When he says he sees his brother having need, that word see, and, and Maria was mentioning that, because sometimes you don't see. Well, then you, you, can't, you can't meet a need you don't see. You don't know exists. And that particular word that he uses for see, because we've got like, what, eight different words for seeing in the New Testament, and this particular word for seeing means you see it well. It's clear. It's not like, what am I looking at? I don't know over there. And it's yeah. enough to move your compassion. Yeah. It says that there. Because it says if you don't listen to it, you're shutting your bowels of compassion. Yeah. And we all know what that feels like. You're moved by the need. 
so you can plainly see it right but that's the whole thing it's not like what am i seeing do i see that no you're seeing it plainly enough to move you in some way and this is a material need as peggy's pointing out this is a material need but there are there other needs that people have yeah, yeah. And like I said, you might run across somebody that they really need teaching. You know from interactive, they need instruction. They're, they do not understand something. You're like, um, and you're praying going, God, I don't. That's when I think you call and say, what, 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 what verses do I give them? I'm, see, I'm not saying go take them to somebody else. It's like maybe you need to make contact and say, hey, I've got a person in this situation. What can I tell them? What would be a good place to direct them in the word of God? You see? So in other words, you're going to try to find a way to meet that need if God calls it to your attention, even if it's not something that you can immediately just go, oh, I know how to do that. That's all I was trying to suggest. I wasn't trying to say... Let's find out together. Let's you and I study this out. Yeah. Do it that way. Right. You can do that too. Let's. I'll show you how to, to go sit at home, and, or the two of us sit at home and go through a concordance or something, whatever, read through some verses. Okay, let's go to Galatians chapter 6. Peggy, this will be you. Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. When you get there. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of meekness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you, do, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ, of the Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. So, what would... What would this passage doesn't use here the word love, but how would this passage illustrate? Love Christ. Christ. Yeah, and there's where it comes in. It's at the end of verse two, the law of Christ. Why is it called the law of Christ? The law of Christ isn't ten commandments. Ten commandments is done. The law of Christ is now that Christ has given us his command to love, and he's restated several times on what that love looks like in different types of settings. So kind of interesting how other verse was a need of physical things. This is a need yes, of spiritual. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And he says, and you see a brother, and they're caught in a trespass. Now, we've talked about trespasses before. What's the difference between a trespass and a sin? See if anybody remembers this. Trespass is before the action. It's before the action. Determined you're going to do something. Is that right? It, it involves determining to do something. What's really interesting is what? Go ahead. Peg. To that I deserve to think this way, feel this way, and you may not actually act it out, but I deserve, and God should understand that. Mm -hmm. that. That at the time of the New Testament, they used this word in their culture for something that was that you would consider wrong, but you excuse it because. Like, well, let's put it this way. I, have, I owe you a debt. This is an example. It comes right out of the Sermon on the Mount. I owe you a debt. But I'm not going to pay you back. And you'll understand that I'm not going to pay it back. You'll be okay with that if I don't pay back this debt. And that was considered a trespass. You were trespassing against a person because you owed them something. They loaned you $100 and you paid them back $25, but you're not going to pay it back in full. Or maybe you didn't pay back any of it. 
And you're like, you'll understand. And that's kind of this idea is that when you see this word, oftentimes it's people think they're excused. Uh, I don't, I, we might hit it tonight, but over in Ephesians chapter two, it says we were dead by the trespasses and by the sins. And he says back in chapter one that we were forgiven trespasses. He doesn't say sins in chapter one. Why does he say trespasses? Because that was their problem. They think that God would understand why I have hard feelings towards those Jews, Jewish Jews that are in my church, because those Jews used to treat me badly before I got saved. And now I, 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 can hold, I can harbor hard feelings towards them. And that's still wrong. The Ephesian church, and they still are. Yeah, and they're still doing it. The problem, yeah, <laughs> Paul's trying to settle this problem between the Jew and Gentile Christians in the Ephesian church. So you see this man, and if you go back, look back at the end of chapter 5. He lists three things here that I think probably give flavor to the trespass in, in particular. Do not let us become those involved in vain glory. That is, we make a big deal about things that don't amount to a hill of beans, to use old Iowa language, and provoking one another. God doesn't want us going around provoking one another. Say that all the better you can do. Maybe a coach could do that, but is that not even good coaching, is it? Just all the better you can do? Well, <laughs> I mean, it depends. It depends. It, it depends. Maybe it works as something. But we don't do that in the Christian life. That's not the way you do it in the Christian life. I know you can do better than that. I know you can do better than that. I receive that a lot. Yeah. So this provoking is a, is a negative. This provoking is a negative way to try to push people to do something that you want them to do. And then the last word here, envying one another. Envying one another. When you go back to the works of the flesh, a lot of your modern English translations has a, have the word jealousy and the word envy. And they're not the same because the word jealousy should be the word zeal and the word envy is envy. That's the real problem. Envy is when you're hurt going, why them and not me? So this, and, and is, envy, is envy a sin? No, it's a trespass is what he's saying. And provoking somebody else is not a sin. And, and having this, this inflated opinion of yourself is not a sin. They're all a trespass. They're wrong and they offend God, but they themselves are not classified in Scripture as sin. Okay? So when you see somebody that's doing this, if you see me going around going, you see what I got done? You see, I'm so much better than, you know, you know, I could, you know. <laughs> Maybe you went to a pastor's meeting and all I did was go on, well, in our church, we went blah, blah, blah. In our church, blah, blah, blah. In our church, blah, blah, blah. You know, and we went on and on like, well, I'm just thinking of Brian Regan does that with the with the braggadocious guy that's just, you know, going on. Well, I was, you know, all this monster. kind of stuff. Yeah, the me monster. Yeah, that's the way he calls it. So that's what I'm thinking. What if I do that? Somebody ought to take me aside and say, Tim. <laughs> I'm always telling you guys at men's group, if I talk too much, you just need to kind of say, hey, Tim, it's okay. <laughs> Give Mark a chance or something like that. But you get the point. So this is going on. And he, but, in, but on a very serious note, if you see this kind of stuff going on, he says, and you're spiritual, which that leads to a lesson we're getting to down the road here, uh, is that you can know you're spiritual. You know. Anyway, I'm not going to chase that and get sidetracked with that. But if you know that you're spiritual, because you know you're following the Spirit's lead, and you know that you have the fruit of the Spirit, which we're looking at, and you see a brother have a problem, 
It's not, it's not optional for you to stand there and go, I don't want to deal with that. That's no fun. I, I want to talk about good stuff. I don't want to have to go and talk to a, a brother in Christ that's not thinking right and not, it's kind of some stuff's messed up right now. I don't want to do that. But he says, that's what you do. That's fulfilling the law of Christ. You want to love... You talk the... like that. You're not spiritual anymore. Well, yeah, that's probably true. But, but I think sometimes people are spiritual and they're maybe a little hesitant to step out. Just because you know what love is or that you have love doesn't mean you always know what love is in its best way. Paul says that in Philippians. You can love, but I want you to love even better. I want you to even learn that there's even more nuances to love. spiritual doesn't mean you're controlling yeah. It means you have the attitude, but maturity means you go on and you act on it. And oftentimes in that situation, if you've done it a few times, you're a little hesitant because you've gotten below that. And so then there's satanic cowardice, often is the most common thing right there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there's an example of love. Fulfilling the law of Christ is actually helping a believer that's caught in a spiritual struggle. They're they're having problems and the chance if you don't step in and do this there's a good chance that's just that it's not going to stop there it's going to progress and it probably is going to end up with them just in full-blown sin okay that's something that love does um, and there and there's some churches that they don't like this because they think you just you keep your nose out of everybody else's business listen if God shows somebody to you that has a problem you need to help them. That's part of, I mean, if, if you hurt a part of your body, if a body, part of your body for no a fault of your own, you're walking through the house at night, in the dark, you bang your foot, it hurts really bad. Do you just, do you just go, just ignore it, Rusty, just ignore it, just ignore it, it'll get better, it'll figure it out. I don't. No, you don't. You, you attend to that, right? You attend to that part of the body, right? You go clean up the blood on the toe and bandage it up, things like that. So I guess it hit it real hard there. Philippians chapter 2. Does anybody have anything else to add here before we move on? Okay, Philippians chapter 2. Um, Ronnie, if you'd read Philippians 2, 1 for us, please. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, to that that's good, that's fine. There's a whole there, there's there this, this this well keep. No, we'll pause here. We're just gonna pause it. That's where we're gonna stop. That's where we're gonna, we'll stop there. So what is what does this say is something that love will do? Console. It'll do what? Console. Well, you should read verse 2. Okay, yeah. go ahead and read verse 2 for us, Ronnie. Then. Fulfill my joy by thinking the same way, having the same love, sharing the same feelings, focusing on one goal. I like the way your translation says having the same feelings in the towards the end of verse 2. Because mm -hmm. that word that he uses there in the Greek is the word for a joint or a knit together soul. You think rationally, objectively, with your spirit. You think and feel emotionally with your soul. Do you ever think emotionally? Yeah. Do you ever think rationally? Yeah. Mostly, usually our thinking is kind of a mix of those two, right? This is, and I think, 
having Ronnie having read that next part, that's what's going on at the end of verse one there. Is that that word there for consolation or how'd your Bible translate it? Which one? Oh, if any consolation of love. Consolation is that that's the way it was. Okay. Um, it has the idea of soothing or consoling. And it's from love. But I think the soothing and consoling, uh, and we've talked about this before. There's a larger context. But if you went back into chat, let's go back to take a look at it here. Well, Tim, what is the Greek word? For consoling, it's param, paramuthao. Or it's actually, it's a noun. It's parmuthion is the noun here. But it's, it's to, to soothe. To soothe. If you go, look back up to um, in chapter 1 for just a minute. And uh, let's go back to verse 27. Is that it? No, it's not verse. I'm looking for the rhyme verse back up above here. Oh, no, that is. It was verse 27. I was right. Okay. Verse 27. Of which? Uh, chapter 1. Chapter 1, verse 27. He says, Conduct yourselves as citizens in a manner worthy of the good news about the Christ. In order that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I might hear concerning you that you stand in one spirit. That's the rational part. A lot of, some, some, some people may have problems with that, but I think most of the time believers, if you've taught them the word, like the Philippians, they know these facts. They can relate to those objectively. But then we come to the hard part. So that's with the spirit, but with one soul, and we have the word contending in the uh, contending for the faith of the gospel. You do it in one soul. Now our Bibles mess that up because they translate one of those words mind, and I think the reason they do it is because most of Christianity does not recognize a distinction between the spirit and soul. The spirit's the part of you that Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, you know objectively, whereas the soul is what you know subjectively. I've tasted it, I've smelt it, I've felt it. That's subjective. I feel it. And he says you need to contend with one soul. And that word contend at the at there with one soul, interesting enough, is it's the word, it's the verb athleo. What do you think we get from the word athleo? To be an athlete. Yeah. But, yeah, team, because this then has a preposition prefixed on the front of it. It's soon athletic. Soon means together. Soon. That's together. In other words, you know, if you, I don't know. I, well, I suppose a track team, you do work together because there, there are team points. Yeah, and there's rowing in a team. But I'm thinking there are individual sports, you know. There's individual sports. My, well, my daughters played tennis. Both of them ended up playing, you know, singles eventually. It's you against that person over there. But this word is talking about like this is a team sport. This is basketball. This is volleyball. This is rowing. This is football. This is, this is working together as a team with one soul. And, and I can just say from having played on teams and my dad having coached on teams, sometimes your biggest struggle is not just that knowing what people are supposed to actually do, but people's feelings getting hurt in the game and people not wanting to work together as a team with that person. And do you think that doesn't happen in churches? It was happening in the Philippian church. And so Paul's saying, with one 
soul. So one spirit, one soul. So that takes us back there to verse one. There's a consolation of love. The consolation is for the soul. The encouragement in Christ is for the spirit. Your soul can't sense being in Christ. It can't taste it. It can't smell it. It can't feel being in Christ. That is something that God says about you that is only credited to you. So all you can do is exercise your rational part of you, your spirit, to relate to that. But your soul down here needs a soothing from love. So your spirit can be encouraged by saying, you're seated at the Father's right hand. Well, I don't feel like I'm seated at the Father. Well, yeah, you don't feel like you are, but you are. God says every moment of every day, you are seated at his right hand in Christ. Turns there and you're there. And they can rationally relate to that. But that soul, but I'm hurt. Do you know what Mrs. Scuthers did to me? I don't. Remember, there's two ladies in this church that have knocked heads, that have worked together. He tells me he uses the word soon athleto. They did compete as a team together at one time, but now he calls this other guy, help get these two ladies back together. They don't want to play together anymore. So it's a soul thing. He, Paul talks about the soul a lot. You just don't always see it because a lot of times the word soul is joined with other words in this book. And you see that these people are really struggling. People have hurt feelings. And so as a result of that, some people are like, well, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to come to your Bible study because you hurt my feelings. You know, I'm not going to, oh, well, I'm not going to show up when you have supper at your house. You know, things, you know what I'm saying? It's just people, and I don't know what it is. I think it's a good thing that Paul didn't tell us exactly what caused the problem. Because then we go, well, we don't have that problem. By leaving it neutral, that people's feelings have been hurt in their soul, it leaves us open for the fact that there's a lot of ways that our feelings can get hurt, right? Tim, can you repeat what you said? You said your soul can't relate. Your soul can't relate to who you are in Christ because the soul relates to what it can sense. Your soul relates to your, the Greeks understood the soul is related to your five senses and your emotions. So you can't feel that. You can't, what does is, what is heaven smell? I mean, Jerry used to, when he'd come over and speak, or he says, I'm sniffing heaven. But he's using that as a metaphor. Because, I mean, literally, nobody's smelling heaven. You all you understood that. But we can't taste it. What does heaven look like? We have no idea. We have no clue. So, so it can't relate to that. But in your spirit, you can say, this is what God says is true of me. We're going to get through one part of the fruit tonight. Romans 13. Does anybody else have any other questions? Romans 13. Romans 13. When we get there, Gary, Romans 13, if you could read for us. Let's go back to verse 8. I have verses 9 through 10, but let's go back. Let's go back up to verse 8. I should change that. Romans 13. Yes. Down through verse 10, please. Oh, no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not covet. And another, 
any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does not wrong, does no wrong to the neighbor. Therefore, love is a fulfilling, is the fulfilling of the law. Besides... Oh, that that's good. Okay. That's where we wanted to go. Thank you. So, to see if anybody knows Romans 13, what's... The, what's the issue just that just preceded this? Submitting to government. Submitting to government, and then specifically one area he mentions, taxes. paying your taxes. So when he says, oh, nobody, no man, anything, uh, I used to know Christian ministries when I was in college. I'd never even seen these growing up until I went to college, and then all of a sudden these Christian ministries are saying, you should never take out loans. You should never owe debt. Mortgages are wrong. Save your money and pay a house full and clear. Only buy your cars when you can pay cash. And, and, they, they did. and there's some wisdom to some of the things that they would say about the way people pile up debt on things. But that's not what this verse is talking about. It has nothing to do with that kind of debt. It's talking about owing taxes. And you'd say, oh. but this is, well, you know, th and this happens in our culture. Does anybody ever think our past, our taxes are unjust? You don't have to raise your hand. Yeah, I was going to say you don't have to yes. say anything. But okay, but yeah, okay. Uh, is the money used in ways that we would disagree with? Yes. We probably ought to say yes. But you know what? If you could say that was true of any time, you could say that of Rome. When Paul's writing this, you know who's sitting on the throne in Nero. in Rome? Nero. Nero. Bad dude, man. Bad. Man. What do you in, in reference to that point? Why then in verse six? Above in context, pay your taxes too for these same reasons. For the government workers need to be paid. I've always wondered why Paul wrote, They are serving God in what they do. When are they really serving God? I mean, maybe it's rendered different in the Greek, but you know, you talk about being under Nero or whatever, you know, whatever government people sit underneath there there are believers in governments no doubt about it but I would call the government a Christian entity or um, all the workers serving God what they do mm -hmm. well, let me ask you here's, here's a good question we talk about the governments in the world what what is biblically the chief purpose of government does anybody know biblically what the chief purpose of government is keep it from doing wrong it says it in this verse yeah in other words, the chief purpose of government, and you all benefit from this, and you don't even reap. Well, I think for we do. Rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Yeah. All right. So in that regard, mm -hmm. that's how they're serving us. Yeah. <laughs> we got these rules. I don't even know who's all on our our police force, but we've got we've got Ray, we've got Josh, we've got Hannah in our town, and Yo. you know. And I don't know that those people go out on duty going, I'm serving God, I'm serving God. But they are serving God in this sense. They're keeping order. How many of you put your head down on your pillow at night and go, oh man, I probably should sleep with my gun loaded right under my pillow because the roving hordes are going to come over Frenchman Hills and they're going to steal everything we have. And But that was common. That's common. It's still common in some parts of the world today. And that's really what... He says that was the chief purpose of government. It was to maintain 
righteous order in the world. You may not agree with the righteous order there, but that's what it's there. Yeah. It's not even really about morality. It's about just righteous order. Sure, I can, I can drink that Kool-Aid. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you look through history and when people have it, the best is when they have rulers that, that was um, <laughs> have a modem of peace so that commerce can go on, so people can buy and sell and have um, a freedom of religion that cuts down on people killing each other. And when you have that, it, it can go pretty well. Mm -hmm. Well, just having been in, maybe some of you have been in places where there isn't a government that is doing these things, you can see how ungodliness spreads really quick because the heart of man is pretty, pretty evil and it can be tempered through bullets and jail sentencing and fear of judgment fear of judgment con yeah. and that's in this context too yeah they have the sword for a reason that's right capital punishment that's right. and you take away consequences oh wait we just did in America but <laughs> we I signed the petition though we're going to get some police force we're working on that say your petition Leslie brought those in, but I signed them all. Yes, I know. Yeah. I, I mean, but I mean, right to that point where you where you can't you can't pursue somebody because of the technicalities. Anyways, I can see where you're going with it. Thank yep. you for answering the question. We're okay. not going to make it through two fruits. Two fruit. That, that's all right. We're not. And since we're not, can I ask another question? <laughs> sure. Sure. Um, while we're on this topic, so in verse. One of chapter 13, it says, For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. So we look at that, and then, you know, I like, so as Ben's talking, I'm thinking, yeah, like, overall, our government seems pretty corrupt. Yes. And so when we look at that and go, <laughs> okay, but they were instituted by God, according to Romans 13, if they're in authority, then they were instituted by God. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This is not contextual. This is not like, hey, guys, you live in Rome, and God has instituted the Roman government. This is like all government, all authority, and point. all the land yeah. for all of the Adolf Hitler is your <coughs> governing right. authority. Okay. Um, can anybody think of a good example in Scripture that addresses this straight out? Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar, you go to the book of Daniel, and it's stated in Daniel 4, we're told at least twice in there, maybe it's three times, but we're told about Nebuchadnezzar, that it said, um, he has to learn this, but this is also for the sake of the Jews that are being in, that are in captivity over there in Babylon, in a, in, a, in a place that is not their home. They've all been deported from Israel. They've been, they're over there in, in Babylon now with a people that have, that worship different God, gods, and don't view the word, things the same way they do. I mean, when God predicted them in the minor prophets about them coming, he says, I'm gonna, he says, you think this is bad? He says, just wait till I tell you, I'm bringing a people on you that they run across the desert at crazy speeds. They come in, they've got teeth like lions and they tear everything apart and leave a mess in their wake. <laughs> And I'm thinking, I can't remember, I think that's Habakkuk. And Habakkuk's like, this is horrible. Now you've told me this thing and this is even worse. But God says, but there's purpose behind that. 
in the purpose of, of, of establishing these governments in the world is to remind, well, this is the point in Daniel. He says, so you know that the Most High rules in the kingdoms of men, and he places over it whomever he desires, even, and then he says, even the basest of men. He doesn't place good and moral men, the basest of men. The interesting thing about that is, when we say that God does that, there's also the point that that usually is the kind of people, that, the men that people choose. You know why Hitler came to power? Because most people in most people in Germany loved the guy, because they were sick and tired of getting, of, you know, basically yeah. getting beat up by all the other nations because of what they had done in World War One. So you know they brought that on themselves, and so they loved a, a strong guy, and that's what you know, and that's what people want. They want this guy. So they governments like guys that are arrogant, like Nebuchadnezzar. They're jerks. You wouldn't want them for their for, to be your best friend because they're not nice guys. What's interesting to me about Nebuchadnezzar is he ate like an animal out in a field for seven years and nobody overthrew him. We are the creation. Our God is in the heavens. He does whatever pleases right. him. His ways are higher than my ways, but I just want to understand. And I think that that's one of the things, <laughs> that's one of the things he says to Daniel. This is to help you understand, guess what? I put these people in control and they're not good guys. Because this, in the end, and I think it's not just that they're not good guys and I put them there, but they're really, they're the kind of people that you guys want. You guys, they, they worship, they worship humanity. They worship these kinds of people. They worship these kinds of people. Now we all- think, We think that God's, part of a certain area of Christendom thinks that we're gonna make this world better and Christ is gonna, we're gonna hand this to Christ and Christ is gonna come and rule something that's already turned over to him. No, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says he's calling out the Gentiles out of the world today. We're a small group. Christians are a small group. They're not the masses of the world. It's a small group. It's, it's, it's some out of this whole. Yeah. And that's the purpose now. So we're, it's when, when he has these other, if, if we had a Christian leader and a Christian nation, which we don't, then where's the shining? Where's this, you know, where's that? It says we're to be like luminaries, like the stars, shining in a dark, perverse world. How is that happening if this is all just a Christian world, a Christian nation? That, no, that's not God's purpose today. And let me... Before we move back to the point of this, let me add one other little correction that people don't get right. You hear lots of people talk about that first generation of apostles when they went out and it said they turned the world upside down. Do you know where that comes from? That comes from a statement in Acts 17. And you know who said it? Some, some Jewish people that were raising a mob in Thessalonica and they, they grab a couple of the men that are from the church because they can't find Paul and they drag him in before the leaders and said, these people are turning the world upside down. They hadn't. There was no problem. There was no tumult in Thessalonica. Those guys created the problem. Those guys didn't. But if, but if Did you want... Did they come from Philippi? Yes. Well, they, yes, there were people that had chased him down there from Philippi. They just kept chasing Paul from one place to the next place. So when people say that, keep that in mind. The Bible does not say, does not say that the church and the apostles and the Christians turned the world upside down. That came out of the mouth of some unsaved men that were trying. It's the same thing that politicians do. They get up and they've got to make that guy look like the the worst thing that's ever been on the planet next to next to Satan or or you're not going to vote for me. 
So I got to make you convinced that that guy's a problem. And if they want to get rid of Paul and these guys, they've got to convince the leadership of the community. These guys are destroying our town. And they hadn't. There was no tumult. They were the ones that caused the problem. It tells you. You just read the story. Go over there and read it. First Thessalonians 17. You'll see what it says. Are now, you, are you, maybe I understood you wrong. Are you saying that Christians have used that to say, look, we, they turned the world upside down. We need to turn the world upside down. In reality, that's not what it said. That's it. Yeah, that is exactly not what it said. And I hear that. I, every once in a while, you get these big rallies of Christians together and they're pumping it up. Well, it's like that first century Christian. Let's turn the world upside down. And it never happened. Yeah. It never happened. Well, that's like, I told you, Lindsay and I went to a church service in Spokane years ago. The pastor was talking about unity. And he used that verse out of when they were building the Tower of Babel. And they were all one heart, one mind. We need to be one heart, one mind. It's like, no. Those people are doing something ungodly. You know? You know that verse I'm talking about, though? Yeah. So maybe, similarly, we read that in the law. Yeah. So now to the main point in this text. Okay. Having having established the love. fact that we all are under government, and government is by is by from a human point of view, evil being established by God, he says that you should not owe anybody anything. What verse This is in verse eight. And then he says at the end of verse eight, for the one loving and Gary said the one loving the other, because that's the way his translation reads it. But what it says is the one loving has fulfilled the other law or the different law. And it's heteros in Greek. And so it's the heteros namas, or in this case, it's namas. Verse 8. Verse 8, the end of verse 8. So when you're loving, you're fulfilling a different law, he says. So it's actually two another's. So Yes, because the first one he says, he says, do he says, owe no one anything except to love one another. That one is this. Believers loving believers. For the one loving, loving what? One another, he just said that, <coughs> fulfills the different law. Now, what does he mean by that when he says fulfills the different law? See love this Christ. what? Well, you're talking about that we're fulfilling the law of Christ, and then he's going to use some examples from the Old Testament law to say, you know what, if you were if you were loving these other people, you wouldn't be doing those things. In other words, if I love you, I'm not going to go out. I'm not going to go out and engage in adultery with with other people, with other other people because I love you. I'm not going to go out and murder other people. I'm not going to be stealing from you. I'm not going to be going on coveting going, oh, I want what they have. I'm going to pay my taxes. I'm going to get respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Yeah, so you're going to treat them well. And then he, so he goes at the end of this, and if there's any different commandment, it's summed up in this word, love your neighbor as yourself. No, that was out of the law, the Mosaic law. And he says, if love was the fulfilling of that law, then what does love do today? It loves one another, but likewise, it also fulfills love. So verse 10, love does not work evil to its neighbor. What does that have to do with fulfilling or paying your taxes? I've used this illustration lots of times. Could you imagine if I started cheating on my taxes, the government takes too much for me, I'm gonna, I'm gonna mess around with the numbers and guess away, instead of paying you know, six thousand or seven thousand dollars in taxes a year. I'm only going to pay a hundred. 
I've known Christians that have actually figured out how their taxes are used within the government, what is what they consider to be the good stuff, and they pay that. But they don't pay the percentage that goes to fund all the things that they think are wrong. Okay? So let's say I start doing that. Now, I'm a pastor. You think that there's a chance if they came and audited me, they go, oh, this is a pastor. I wonder what he's encouraging. Next thing you know, Gary and Leslie get a letter in the mail. We're going to audit you. Ben and Lindsay get a letter in the mail. We're going to audit. And they start, pretty soon they're coming around. You're, you're all being honest. But now you got to go through an audit. <laughs> Even if you're honest and you're not going to get in trouble, do you want to go through an audit? I don't know what it's like. I don't want to go through one. But I do. You do want to go through an audit. I, no, I have, I've been through Oh, you've been through one. Yeah. Oh, I have too. <laughs> well, I'm sure you have. I'm sure you have. Yeah, you do it together, right? But I think that this is a really good place to illustrate, and this is this is a wonderful place to illustrate love. That love looks at how or how might my actions have fallout on other people, other believers, on other believers. If I really love you, people. I don't want to do anything that's going to cause you problems. I can't keep you from having problems in life, but I don't want to be the cause of problems coming on you because I did something wrong. And if I love you, then I'm going to shout, I'm going to always say, I'm going to keep my nose clean out of love for you. See? How, how, how's that for motivation for doing the right thing, caring about other people? Not just loving because you don't want to get your hand slapped. We got one last verse. Romans 14. Okay, just one. Yes, so, please. Romans 13, 8. Owe no one anything except to love one another. That's our law. That's so our One another of the same kind. For the one who loves another has fulfilled another kind of law of Paying your taxes. So yeah. So if you're what yes, if you didn't get what Peggy's saying, when it says a different kind of law, when you're loving other believers, you're fulfilling the law of the land where you are, the law of your county or your city. Because it doesn't say it has fulfilled the law. It's no. a different kind well, of law. Yeah. The different kind of law. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A different kind of law. Yeah. No. Cool. Well, there's a the in front of it, so it is the different kind of law. It's it's the one that he's just been talking about. There was the law of Rome. <laughs> okay, so now let's go to chapter fourteen. Chapter fourteen and uh, verse fifteen. For if because of good your brother is hurt, you are no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy with your food him for whom Christ died. Okay. Now this is actually stated negatively, but what is it? In, what would we say positively would be the, the way this should be? Consider others higher than yourself. That's right. Yeah. When it comes to food. Yeah. Well, in, 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 in this context, he, he actually mentions three things in Romans 14 that were points of contention. Food, Sabbath, and at the end, he also adds, in drinking wine, he adds that to it. And those were three problems that these people had. Because they had some Jews in their church, most likely, that were still keeping Sabbath. And he, and he said, don't run roughshod over those guys. And then you've got people that are, we've told you before, 
They had eaten meat from around Rome that had bought the bought in the meat markets. All you gotta do is read Romans 10 and you can get a picture of it over there in Romans 10, what it is. He says, eat anything sold in the meat market, but don't ask questions. Just take the meat and eat it. Because if you ask, then they're gonna say, well, yes, this was sacrificed this morning over here at the altar to Jupiter, Zeus, okay. And he says, and then you don't wanna eat that for the sake of conscience, not you, but for that guy's conscience, he says. So that was one of the problems. Some of these people became vegetarians because they didn't want to accidentally eat meat that had been offered to an idol around town. And Paul even says here, as well as over in 1 Corinthians, we know an idol isn't anything, but the person that thinks it's a thing, even the believer that thinks it is, pardon me, but the person that thinks that that idol is something, it is. And so you've got believers that they're weak in the faith, they're young, they haven't grown, and they're sensitive about this. They'll grow in time. That's actually, that song that we sang, the God of hope, joy and peace, that's all about this hope and confidence that God's gonna grow those people. It's not just about growing you, it's about he's gonna grow those people. Just be patient and let God grow those people in their time. It's just, it's in the next chapter after this. And so that's it. And then also he indicates it apparently is not as big of a deal as those first two, but he also mentions wine in verse 21. He says, I, he says, it's good not to eat meat or drink wine or anything by which your brother stumbles. In other words, he says, if there's anything that causes them problems so that they don't progress in their Christian life, he says, love won't do that to them. And he's, Paul says, kind of goes through the same, these same issues over in Romans, uh, 1 Corinthians 8 and 9. So remember the verse we've been kind of pivoting off of on Sunday mornings on God's glory, 1 Corinthians 10, 30. Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to the Jew, to the Gentile, or to God's church, the church of God. That's kind of ought to be part of the way that we live by love. We got through one part of the fruit tonight. Honestly, probably, I would say, believe it or not, out of these, love is probably one of the hardest ones to understand. Because I think a lot of Christians don't really get what love is like. Because what we tried to look at tonight is love puts itself out for people that have needs. It puts itself out for people that are having spiritual struggles or needs like that. It puts itself out, itself out for people that are having emotional struggles. It puts itself out there for believers that are, you know, by paying your taxes in the world out there so that you're not bringing the government down on a bunch of believers unnecessarily. And it puts it out with believers that are still young in the faith, weak in the faith, he says at the beginning of chapter 14. They're still weak in the faith and it puts them first. So, and I, I think sometimes when we think of love, that's not where we immediately go to. We don't immediately think that those are some things that are gonna characterize, should characterize our love. And you could try to do that, but you don't have to try. You just need to be spiritual. You just need to follow the spirit's walk and he'll produce this kind of love in you. Okay?